Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Sarah, and this is the Squiggly Careers Podcast. Every week we share ideas and tools that we hope will help you to navigate both the obstacles but also make the most of the opportunities that come our way in squiggly careers. This week is one of our Ask the Expert episodes where I'll be talking to Rob Joffe about leadership. So we're taking on a big topic this week. Rob is the co-author of one of the leadership books that I rate and recommend most frequently. There are lots of books written about leadership, but there are very few that I think stand the test of time. And Rob and Gareth definitely does. And it's called Why Should Anyone Be Led By You? Together with Rob, I talk about how to approach answering what can seem like a very confronting question. Why should anyone be led by you? The critical difference between leadership and management. And we even borrow some brilliance along the way from social anthropologists, which surprised me and something I very much enjoyed. I've been hoping to talk to Rob for a long time. I've actually been taught by Rob, not that I expected him to remember, when I did a programme at London Business School. So I had met him before very briefly and he's always been on my list as someone who I hope all of our listeners will find really helpful to listen to and learn from. So I hope you found the conversation useful and I'll be back at the end to point you to some really helpful resources and to say goodbye. So Rob, thank you so much for joining me today on the Squiggly Careers podcast. I'm really looking forward to our conversation together. Uh, It's very nice to be with you, Sarah, and uh, I'm looking forward to it too. So we're going to dive straight in because what has really attracted me to your work and the work that you've written and researched over the years is it all started with this very propelling and I think in some ways provocative question that's the title of a brilliant HBR article that you wrote and then a book, which is that you suggest all leaders should be able to respond to this question, why should anyone be led by you? And I just wondered with this brilliant question, which is both insightful and a bit confronting, I think, at the same time, how do leaders typically respond when you've asked them this question, I'm sure now thousands of times all across the world? Do people have clarity? Can they answer that question? Do people look a bit bemused? What happens when you sort of offer that question out to a room full of leaders? Well, as you say, Sarah, I've asked it many times. I think the most typical response is stunned silence, really. Um, <laughs> and and a kind of I don't know, nervous laughter, a bit of anxiety. Um, You know, it's a fairly, as you've just said, a fairly provocative question. It's it's almost a kind of rude question. Um, (laughs) Why should I be led by you? 
I guess an important thing to say right at the start is that the question is not, why should I be managed by you? If I joined your organisation, Sarah, and I saw your name on the organisation chart above my name, that's the answer to the question, why should I be managed by you? But it's not the answer to the question, why should I be led by you? And the distinction really is the led bit is really referring to what's different about you, Sarah, that's going to excite me to some kind of higher level of performance. So our simple definition when we wrote the book was that leadership has something to do with exciting other people to higher levels of performance. That's what it's all about. And that's got something to do with what's different or unique or distinctive about you by comparison to all sorts of other people in this organisation that I could, to use an old-fashioned phrase, lend my allegiance to. What's different about you? Now, that's inevitably a question that has something to do with who are you? Who is the authentic Sarah by comparison to other people inside this organisation who could be my leader? So that's a sort of, it's a difficult and rather uncomfortable thing to start thinking through. I guess the other thing about the question is that it's a reminder that leadership is a relationship. In other words, you can't be a leader without followers. You know, I sometimes bump into people and say, I'm a great leader, I've got fantastic charisma, but they just can't (laughs) see it. And, you know, that... You cannot be a leader unless you have followers. So the two things that the question is prodding, as it were, or investigating is what's different about you and what's the nature of your relationship to others because you cannot be a leader unless you have followers. And those are two big things to think about. And sometimes that's a sort of uncomfortable proposition, as it were. Yeah, and I think in some ways, though, as you describe, it might be a bit uncomfortable, it's also reassuring because it starts with you. And I think certainly when I was first moving into leadership roles in my career, I had this sense of expectation that I think I was placing on myself that I would look around at other leaders that I admired and you know aspired to maybe be like, And I could see they were very different to me. And so for a while, I think I fell into a trap of thinking, well, to be a brilliant leader, I need to be more like X person or Y person. But maybe they've got a different personality to me. Maybe what makes them distinct and different inevitably isn't going to be the same as why people might want to follow me. Once you get to grips with kind of the why you're asking this question, I started to find that reassuring because I thought, well, at least it starts with me and what... I've got to offer. But I think when we use this word authentic, it comes up a lot in organisations and the organisations we work with. And you have this lovely phrase um, that I will often share with people in a workshop and say, Rob has this great phrase, he talks about being an authentic chameleon. Now, again, those two things might intuitively sound, you know, might be counterintuitive rather than intuitive. You're both authentic and a chameleon. How do those things work together? So perhaps you could describe that to us a bit more. So what do we mean when we mean being an authentic chameleon? What might that look and feel like? I'll get to the authentic chameleon. Before that, Sarah, what you said was, you know, you you were worried when you were coming into organisations about 
were you able to be more like some of these perhaps very successful others mm. or leaders inside the organisation? And of course you can learn from other people and what they do, but I think it's a great error to try and mimic them, as it were, because the challenge is not to be like someone else. The challenge is to become more like yourself, not more like someone else. And so in the book, a phrase we use a lot is be yourself more. That's not the complete phrase, and I'm sure we'll come on to it. But the challenge is to be more like yourself, not to try and copy others. Because if you try and copy others, inevitably, that's a kind of fast route to inauthenticity. Mm. Um, so the thing is this, that you must be more like yourself, but you can't go to this extreme position of this is me, take it or leave it, because... Guess what? You know, quite a lot of people will say, you know, next, you know, we'll leave it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you and goodbye. You cannot simply present yourself in organisations by simply saying, this is how I am. So, you know, you've got to kind of live with it. Now, I do think some people do try that and they get ejected, frankly, from organisations. And a fair number of them, I feel, become entrepreneurs and when they become entrepreneurs, they can more or less say, this is me, take it or leave it, because this is my organisation. And if you don't like it, you can go somewhere else. And I, I'm sure you've probably met some entrepreneurs that are a little bit like that. They just couldn't live inside, you know, a large structured organisation mm -hmm. of one kind or another. So you cannot simply present yourself and say, you need to adapt to me. The reality is you need to adapt a bit, as it were, to other people and to the context. You know, in the book, we said leadership is non-hierarchical. In other words, it's about you, not the position you're in. We said it's relational. You need followers. I've made that point already. And we said it's contextual. So non-hierarchical, relational, contextual. Those are the three fundamental axioms. Now, the moment you accept that it's contextual. In other words, it varies according to where you are and who you're with. And of course, that's very different from one business to another, from one country to another, from one region of a country to another, from one year to another. What leadership looks like, frankly, post-pandemic <laughs> might be a little different from what it looked like before the pandemic, etc., etc. So the moment you accept that leadership is contextual, You've got to accept, first of all, there's no universal recipe for what leadership looks like. But it also means you've got to balance being yourself with the requirements of the context. And that's sort of essentially what we were trying to get at with the idea of an authentic chameleon. In other words, you know, the chameleon is this marvellous creature that changes its colour according to context, but it's still a chameleon. I think that's the thing to think about, that there's there's this thing called you and I want to see some kind of common thread in Sarah that I recognise from one context to another or one set of relationships to another. But I also want to see a Sarah that sort of adapts because in the end, you won't get traction with other people because leadership is a relationship you won't get traction with other people unless you adapt to them a little. It's like two cogs coming together. If you imagine wheels, cog wheels, that 
you won't get the traction between them unless they they mesh, they sort of interact. And I think some people fail as leaders because they refuse to adjust to the context that they're in. And I'm sure you know, as well as I do, many examples of people who, they're kind of one-hit wonders. They're good leaders in one place at one time, but they never sustain it anywhere else because they don't really adapt to anywhere else. So, you know, this is a horrible, complicated thing, really. Getting the balance right between adaption and being yourself is a really difficult balancing act. And if if you do too much adaption and you look like you're just a kind of role player, then the danger is you look inauthentic. And if you do too much, this is me, take it or leave it, you just look like a, a maverick that one day is going to get killed, as it were. So you've got to get the balance right, and, and that's really hard. And so just pausing for a second on this idea or this skill, I would describe it as a skill, this skill of adaptability, because one of the things um, that I really enjoyed about Why Should Anyone Be Led By You when I was sort of reading the book was actually the final section where you describe, you sort of give everybody a set of questions to reflect a bit on your own capability. And you discuss things like, you know, being able to, you know, conform enough back to this idea of adapting to be able to move modes in terms of distance. So when to zoom in, when to zoom out, when to speed up, when to slow down. And I'm sort of using, you know, sort of my simplistic phrases there to sort of summarise. But the, the common thread that really came through for me was this idea of you've got to sort of be yourself more and you sort of end that phrase with be yourself more with skill. So this sort of skill of sensing like how do I adapt in a way that is useful and helpful for those people who are following me for that organisation that I'm in? And so if somebody is listening to this now and thinking, right, I sort of, I understand that as a principle. I think that sounds very sensible and we can see how we'll be more successful as a leader if we're able to do this. What might this look like in practice? Like, how do we get better at this? How do we know if we're doing a good job? Maybe we think we're being a brilliantly authentic chameleon, but maybe we are being too much of a chameleon. Maybe we're being kind of too authentic without enough of that sensing. What have you observed in terms of the leaders that you've worked with? What have they done well to get this sense of improving that skill of being able to adapt? It's uh, a really good question, Sarah. Just before I try and address it head on, um, thank you for finishing the sentence I only started earlier on, which is be yourself more with skill. So don't remember just the first three words, everybody. Remember, remember <laughs> yeah, I always, I have to say, I always add the with skill because I think actually that's the really important bit. <laughs> the with skill is, is almost the most important bit because that's mm-hmm. the bit that's saying, think about the context, think about the relationships. So you've got to do all of it. The other thing, little phrase you used, which I'll also echo, which we used in the book was, as you've just said, conform enough. Don't conform, because if you conform completely, you've lost yourself. And I think that's where a lot of potential leaders go wrong. They don't give themselves the opportunity to become leaders because they do too much fitting in, if you see what Mm. I mean. There's an ocean of difference between conform enough and conform. And in a way, if it doesn't sound too bizarre or ridiculous, conforming enough is pretending to conform. It's adapting whilst keeping yourself, as it were. And again, that's because you've got to conform enough to connect with others. 
But that, that's a very different thing from conforming, which is dangerous as a leader. The last thing I want to say before getting into your interesting question is, you started by saying this is about skill. And I think it is. So I think the ability to sense contexts, the ability to move between being close to others and creating some kind of distance, which you sometimes need, is a skill. The ability to show yourself and to communicate who you are is a skill. So I'm banging on about that word skill because if it's true, these are skills, you can get better at them. You yeah, know. that's the good news. With any skill, you can learn, practice and improve. <laughs> exactly right. You know, you, you can shift behaviours. Uh, it's sometimes a, a lot more difficult when you're talking personality. But behaviours, small shifts, big impact. Now, to your question, you know, the fundamental thing about adaption, adapt to context, move between closeness and distance in relationships, show different aspects of yourself in different places, these are all about adaption. So how do you get better at it? I think the first thing, going from basics, if you use the word adapt, not change, if you use the word adapt, it implies for sure, I think, that you're adapting to something. And what I've been arguing and what we've been talking about is you're adapting to context and different relationships. And so I think you need to practice what we call in the book situation sensing. And I think sometimes, really, people are, live in such a busy world. They're so frantic, they're so busy, they're so task-oriented, to use the terminology, that they sometimes just don't give themselves the time to look around. Gareth and I, my co-author, we used to say a lot to people that, you know, it's a really good idea to use a notebook to record your impressions of where you are and who you're talking to and what they're saying. That's what social anthropologists classically did when they were doing field research. They had a notebook. So I think, you know, practice observational skills, use a notebook, jot down your thoughts and observations. These are good, really good practices for getting better at reading and sensing situations. In terms of relationships with others, you know, I used to use a, a kind of motivational assessment tool where you ended up getting an idea of, you know, what motivates you? Is it recognition or is it running things or is it self-fulfillment or is it being in a great team or being stressed? You know, some people are actually motivated by stress and so on. And you'd end up with this kind of rank of various motives for yourself. And I used to ask people, well, you know, think about the four or five people around you who really influence your performance? Who are the key influences on your own performance? Okay, identify those four or five people. And for most people, that's probably their boss or two or three very important peers or one or two very important direct reports. I would then say to people, okay, you've identified these people. Now tell me what you think their top two motives are. You know, don't tell me about their skill. Don't tell me about their experience, because I suspect you can write a book on this on the basis of their <laughs> CVs but tell me about their motives. And the key point here is, you know, people get this straight away. The huge danger is you tend to assume the most important motives for you are the most important motives for other people. And you make that assumption in the absence of information about their motives. So what you very quickly realise is that people around you have varied motives. 
And the reason why this is so important is if you go back to what I said at the beginning, leadership is about the, your ability to excite other people to higher performance. You have no chance of exciting other people unless you understand what their motives are. And the huge assumption that most of us make is that other people's motives are like ours. And I can tell you for sure, they're not. So <laughs> notebooks, being a good detective, given I'm using the word motive, being a good detective of other people's motives, that's really important. I guess the only other thing I'd say is that um, get feedback, you know, mm -hmm. um, not just from 360 and all that good stuff, but by talking to people, you know, that's a way of finding out, are you adjusting, adapting or changing in the right kind of way? One last thing about this adaptability thing. You've got to adapt within, someone said this to me when we were writing the book, you've got to adapt within an acceptable bandwidth. That was the phrase they used. <laughs> and what that means is that people won't tolerate very comfortably wild swings between being, I don't know, a very close, empathetic, chummy kind of person and then all of a sudden transforming into a cold sergeant major, which is the closeness distance thing. You know, it's got to be within within reason. Um, when you show different colours as a chameleon, you know, don't make the colour contrast quite so severe <laughs> that people think, what the hell is going on, you know? And that can be very disconcerting. So acceptable bandwidth is important. Uh, yeah, I've probably said enough, but this is a hard thing and I think it requires lots and lots of practice. Yes, though, I think what is great about the things that you've just described to us there is they are practical things that everybody could start having a go at very quickly so you know we always talk about who what and where are you borrowing brilliance from and I love the idea of borrowing brilliance from social anthropologists and actually just starting to you know just make some more notes about what do you notice what do you observe just giving ourselves small moments in our day you know, regardless of sort of how busy we are or how many back-to-back -back meetings we might be in, sometimes we encourage people to do a one-minute mind map at the end of their day. You know, and you're literally doing just a one-minute mind map of what did I notice about today? And I think even that, you'd be surprised how quickly that then starts to increase both your self-awareness. But then once you've got that awareness, you can link that then to your ability to adapt based on that awareness. So I love that idea. And to your second point, I've had um, certainly had personal experience of understanding other people's motives and how that makes you a better leader. I started doing lots of work on motives in my leadership roles. And what it really helped me to see was, like you say, particularly where, say, my motives might be quite dramatically different to my team's, how I could adapt. So when I first moved into working, for example, in corporate responsibility, I figured out that lots of the team that I sort of had, that I was managing, more to use the sort of definitions that we started with today, they were really motivated by caring. These were really caring individuals and they particularly actually cared about people. And, you know, it really mattered to them to understand, you know, were people being well looked after, whether that was employees or customers. And that's not necessarily something I would have known if we hadn't done some work together on all of our motives. And actually, it really changed how I chose to communicate certain messages. So previously, I might have communicated certain messages in an email and thought, well, that's 
that's good enough. That's what people need to know in a bit more of a transactional way. Whereas actually I knew with that team, if I needed to say deliver a message around some changes that were happening corporately that were going to affect people even if it wasn't going to affect them I knew they wanted me to talk to them face to face I knew they wanted a bit more time to be able to ask me questions to really understand and so every time I've ever done any work with a team where we're all sort of understanding each other's motives you know we don't you don't sort of have to get super deep about it I always just ask people what's most important to you you know, what really motivates you? You know, talk to me about some career highs and some career lows. That often really reveals people's motives. Um, so I think we can do that in in a sort of accessible way that doesn't have to feel kind of scary for people. That you can, you can just get started by, you know, even in people's one-to-ones that they're having as leaders, just trying to get a feel for what do I think motivates? What do I think matters to this person? And have I really thought about that in terms of then how I'm choosing to lead this team or this individual. Mm. Yeah, I mean, very well said. And I think a lot of this is about developing good habits, making time, getting feedback. It's basic kind of stuff. But as I said, and you've definitely repeated, I think, that um, a lot of the time we're just too busy to do it. Mm. One of the things that we are talking to leaders a lot about, and actually I was talking to a big global leadership group today, is not always trying to think about practicing these skills in a way where there is pressure to feel like you're adding on to your day. I talked a lot to people about how can you add in? So add in rather than add on. So if you're thinking about something like feedback, for example, rather than thinking, oh, I'm going to have to make this meeting or this conversation longer to include feedback, I always say, well, what's stopping you from making the agenda slightly shorter, having the same amount of time, but including one feedback question you know what's working well what's an even better if whatever that feedback might be one of the things that we often do with leaders is say well look at your diary because everybody is very committed to their diaries and see that as data for your development so look across your week and think right well what am I already doing what are the meetings what are the conversations what are the projects and then if I was going to sort of add in some of these behaviors some of these techniques what would that look like? What would I be sort of doing differently? You know, almost attaching new habits to things that are existing, we sort of find feels more realistic. And it feels like often a good starting point to sort of develop some of these skills, in case that's helpful for people listening. Yeah, I mean, one last little technical point, really, when you're talking Mm. about motives, you know, I think I've already used the word, you know, think of yourself as a good detective. And to your comment about embedding this in what you do the reality is with motives a lot of the time you you don't need to even talk to people about it they're dropping clues about their (laughs) motives all the time you just need to be there picking the clues up and putting them in the right page on your notebook to add together to create an idea of what the most significant motive is and of course that's Mm. what really good detectives They don't ask potential criminals, did you do it? They know (laughs) they've done it by the time they've collected enough information or clues that the criminal has unknowingly dropped, if you see what I mean. And I think at work, people are giving clues about their motives, not just at work, by the way, in their leisure and with their families. They're giving clues about their motives all the time. The only issue is, are you using your eyes and ears like a good anthropologist, to make notes about what they're communicating to you. And 
you know, on which you can charge them guilty around a certain motive later. But yeah, it's it's <laughs> there it's there in front of you. You don't even need to create particular routines, I don't think. That's a great way to think about it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So since writing, why should anyone be led by you? I mean, I've reread it hundreds of times probably and certainly gone back to certain paragraphs or sections I've used it for myself I've shared it with other people I've definitely taken kind of plucked certain ideas out of it and combined it with other things I wonder what has changed if anything in terms of your perspective on leadership because that will have been a particular moment in time where you will have you know dived deeply into this area of leadership and spoken to lots of people and then you will have continued and refined that work I'm sure over time albeit as I say when I read it today it feels as relevant to me as when I sort of first picked that book up probably 10 years ago so I was just wondering like what would you what would you change or what would you add if you were sort of doing it again today? Yeah, it's a very good question. Uh, the, the book is, uh, I don't know, it's well over 10 years old. Uh, we wrote a second edition, I think, in, I don't know, around about 2015. Has anything changed? You know, my kind of reaction is everything's changed and <laughs> nothing's changed. You know, I was reading recently that we're still working through what really are the consequences of the pandemic in terms of patterns of work, you know, and where we work and how we work. And I think lots of organisations are still working that through and haven't really come to a conclusive answer. So in terms of leadership, you know, you can look at the pandemic, you can look at the fact that there's a war on in Europe, you can look at stuff like Brexit, you can look at the background stuff of the virtual world, uh, the fact we've all got less time these days, apparently. Lots of stuff seems to be changing. But if you frankly ask me, does that really change how 
I would think about leadership and what the fundamentals are. I don't think it does. I think what I said at the beginning, that there's three fundamental assumptions, relational, contextual and non-hierarchical. I still think that's, that's the basis of wisdom if you're trying to think properly and in a disciplined way about what leadership is about. What might have changed a bit, I think, and, and we changed our mind on this between the first edition of the book and the second edition. By the time we wrote the second edition, we were saying, I think, that what we called situation sensing, the skill you need if you think that leadership is contextual. I now feel for sure that situation sensing is the foundational skill of leadership. And if, if you can't work out where you are, and what's required, then you won't be able to do any of the other things we recommended about should you be close, should you be distant, which aspects of yourself should you reveal, which weaknesses are acceptable, how should you communicate, all of these things. I, I think if you can't work out where you are, you, you're done for. And I think actually, interestingly, the pandemic showed that in sort of stark relief, that it showed leaders who could sense the situation and adapt accordingly. And it also showed other leaders who were hopeless. Now, I'm not going to name names and embarrass people, but I'm sure you can think of some examples. I think what, what recent events have shown is that we need, under these crisis-type conditions, we need great leadership. What it also shows, sadly, is that it's been massively lacking in the places where we most needed it. And that's been, you know, shown in stark relief, I think. But what's required in order to enact leadership skillfully, I think the fundamentals are exactly the same. The one other area that I was reflecting on, as I, as I tried to answer this question in, in my own way for myself, was one of the areas that you, you discuss in the book is this idea of selective vulnerability. So that doesn't mean you've, you've got to be vulnerable all the time and every day, but what it does mean is thinking about, well, what is useful to share about myself, taking away maybe this expectation or pressure to be perfect because you're in a leadership role, which is certainly something I think, you know, I had to learn, you know, sort of when you go into those positions of leadership or you feel like you're getting more influence and impact, does that mean you're meant to know all of the answers or you're never meant to have hard days? Or if you do have hard days, you certainly shouldn't talk about them or you shouldn't be asking for help. One of the things that um, I've observed, which I think is a really positive thing, particularly over perhaps the past five or six years, is much more acceptance and encouragement of people to have that vulnerability at every level in an organisation, for people to share you know, mistakes they made or when things are not going very well and to sort of have that empathy at all levels. So that was, that was the one other area that I think, to your point, has stayed the same in terms of remaining important. But I wonder if it is easier, I get not in every organisation, that wouldn't be true in every, every culture, in every context, but I certainly, I hear it and I observe it more frequently now than I think I've ever done before since, since I started working 20 years ago or so. Uh, yeah, I mean, in the in our terms, the, the be yourself bit involved communicating differences. That's where we started. What's different about you that's going to excite me? Communicate differences that might excite me skillfully. Those are the things that are the positives. 
but also communicate some of the fallibilities or vulnerabilities or weaknesses, whatever word you want to use, in ways which um, communicate you as a human being. You know, the, the reality or the basic observation would be, I want to be led by a person. I don't want to be led by a suit, a role holder, a position filler, a bureaucrat, a player in the organisation. I want to be led by a person. So one of the ways you can communicate yourself as a person is by revelation of some of your fallibilities. My view on this is, as we said this in the book, don't show them all. I don't want to know everything that's wrong with you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, just show me some which indicate that you are a human being. So there is some choice here, I think, about what, what it is you choose to reveal. And, of course, that choice has inevitably got to be informed by your understanding of the context and your understanding of your relationship. So I'm sure all of us share weaknesses possibly with close family and friends that we think might be inappropriate to share at work and vice versa. And that's entirely understandable and, and frankly inevitable if you think that leadership is contextual. So the key kind of thing is what is acceptable? And that's a really hard question. I would say probably if you're a finance director, it's not very acceptable to go in and say, hey, guys, I've got a problem with balance sheets. You know, that, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that. So, you know, clearly now that that was a kind of silly, you know, joke mm -hmm. in a way, but it's it's a serious issue. What is it that what kind of weaknesses are acceptable? And frankly, in the times we live in, there's a lot of misunderstanding about that. And some people lose their jobs in terms of the revelation of certain sorts of weaknesses at work. But I, I, I think it's a kind of, um, yeah, w whether or not it's it's more acceptable these days than it once was, which you were in, implying in what you said, um, I, th I think that's probably true. And I would, I think that's probably good, you know, that, that we've learnt to live with greater kinds of, diversity maybe and differentiation at work and I think that's a good thing and hopefully that's a humanizing aspect of the way work gets organized and experienced by people. And you must get the opportunity to meet all sorts of leaders in lots of different contexts, some who are amazing, some who are hopefully practicing these skills to, to go on to be amazing. Are there any stories or examples of people that you feel really sort of epitomise this idea of creating an environment where people can achieve performance and explore potential that they probably wouldn't have unless they were being led by this person? Because one of the things that really stands out to me when you do describe you know, what some of these people do have in common, there's absolutely no blueprint, you can't you can't copy any one person, but I did get this sense of, and you'll have to tell me whether this is right or not, but this sense of the leaders that seem to really excel have this continual commitment to being a work in progress, to developing themselves, to learning. They sort of seem to recognise that there'll never be a point where they can sort of pat themselves on the back and go, oh, well, that's it, I'm done now. I've completely answered the question, why should anyone be led by me? I'm all brilliant at everything. Great, I'll just I'll just keep doing this then. I sort of sense this ongoing 
sort of desire and motivation to sort of always be answering that question and always to be getting better and and being really committed and recognising, I guess, the privilege that comes with leadership. Yeah, uh, that's um, those are well chosen words. Um, This is where we start confusing, in a way, leadership and seniority, because I think what happens is people that get into senior positions and are, in inverted commas, successful, sometimes suffer from hubris and sometimes suffer from a kind of complacency, really, that, Mm. you know, they've done it, they've made it. And as you've correctly implied, I think that's not what this is about. This is about, you know, leadership occurs all over organisations at many levels. And it does certainly rest upon a sense that you keep learning and developing and to our conversation, adapting. And certainly, I mean, this really from my heart, you know, be yourself more with skill is a lifelong ambition. You, you never quite, you're always polishing your act, and forgive me for using the word act, but I do think leadership is a role that you play, and you should play that role as skillfully as you possibly can, and invest yourself as much as you possibly can in a skillful way. But it is an act, and you need to keep polishing the act. You know, I thought you were going to come on and ask me, you know, which leaders do I most admire, etc., etc. And I'm always very nervous about that question. <laughs> um, Zelensky at the moment, you know, when he first popped onto the scene, I think, amazing. And it's no coincidence, I think, that he, in his previous life, he was both an actor and a comedian. Mm. Um, this is someone who's probably thought long and hard about how he communicates and connects with others. And boy, does he do it skillfully. But I think back to your original, I I do think you've got to keep learning because if leadership is a relationship, it's inevitable, if you think about it, that it's the followers that create the leader or the leaders. And they also, just as they create the leaders, they kill the leaders. You stop being a leader once the followers don't follow you. And of course, the great thing about watching politicians is because they're in a non-hierarchical relationship with their followers, you can see that the followers drop the leaders. The moment (laughs) the leaders get it wrong, it's in front of your face. So one of the the great skills, I think, of, of good leaders is to know when to get out before they get you. Uh, because they will get you in the end, you know, the, 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 you move and the context moves and all the rest of it. And, you know, you need to keep nimble on your feet. I think it's the case. I, I was also in admiration of uh, Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand mm. during the recent crises of one kind or another that she faced. I thought she was pretty impressive. And you could argue that her recent leaving of the stage, as it were, is to some extent getting out before she was got, if you see what I mean. I don't use that example as a criticism. I use it as a kind of compliment that more people need to learn that one of the great skills of good leaders is to move on at the right time. 
Yeah, I would. I was talking about her recently, and one of the things that we sometimes support people with with their squiggly careers is leaving well. So we talk about this idea of have an elegant exit. You know, think about your time, choose your timing well. You know, keep your connections and your relationships. Also, be in control of that. You know, because as a, as a leader at any level, that can happen to you, or that can be your that can be your choice. So I think some some really interesting observations there. Mm. So just as we're coming to the end of our conversation together, we always finish our Ask the Expert interviews with the same final question, which is leaving our listeners with one piece of career advice. And it could be your own advice. It could be advice that you've been given that's uh, served you well in your career so far, or just any words of wisdom that you would like to finish our conversation with today. Well, uh, to repeat something we've said already, be yourself more with skill is lifelong. Don't try to be perfect, but do try to be great. What I mean by that is the moment you pretend you have no weaknesses and you are perfect, you're inauthentic. But the ambition should be to be great. And what I mean by that is if you're regarded by colleagues and others in at work and in your organisation as good, in inverted commas, I suspect you're conforming and... The people that are great are the kind of clever non-conformists. And so be yourself more with skill is all about clever non-conformity, being different in ways where you still survive. And that, that's a hard thing to do. Last little comment on this, which we didn't really say, sorry, this is more than one word of advice, but you know, I think this does connect with your idea of squiggly careers, but the more you can get rich, different experiences outside your comfort zone and as early as you possibly can in your working career, the better. And we may not have the list and never will of the great characteristics of wonderful leaders, but what we do know is that early, rich, different experiences are developmental of leadership. And I think people should seek those out as much as they can. We would definitely encourage and reinforce those words of wisdom uh, from everything that we know about squiggly careers. So Rob, thank you so much. One of the best things about the job that I do is the opportunity to speak to people who I've learned loads from, spent lots of time with, and then actually get the opportunity to meet. And people always say, oh, you know, maybe you shouldn't meet those people. But I always say, my experience is the exact opposite. It is literally the best thing. So I'm so grateful for your time and the opportunity to explore some ideas with you, which have really impacted my leadership. And certainly I hope, as we said, I'll never be the finished article, but I will always keep trying to be myself more with skill. So thank you. I've enjoyed the conversation, Sarah. Thank you. And it's always nice to meet people that uh, have read the book and enjoyed it. Thank you very much. So thank you for listening to today's episode of the Squiggly Careers podcast. There are loads of brilliant and mainly free resources on why should anyone be led by you. So please do look at the links in the show notes to find out more. There's a great Harvard Business Review article that's a really good place to start. If you have any other experts that you'd really love to hear from, always let us know because we're always looking for ideas and inspiration. You can just email us at helenandsarah at squigglycareers.com. And we'll be back again next week talking about how to get support and buy-in from senior leaders and stakeholders. So hopefully quite a nice complimentary sort of twin episode to what we've been talking about today. So thanks again for listening and we'll be back with you again soon. Bye for now.
hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.